Friends, as we make our way back to our seats, I love, I love the opportunity to visit and to share God's love in the service, but uh, our, our time is moving on, and I'm mindful of your time, and, and I'm not going to try to fit the sermon in in nine minutes, I'll tell you right now, and that's only because we want to give Elsie time with the kids downstairs, so I'm going to, I'm going to stretch it out a little, I'll just, you know, put a little more water in the soup and kind of stretch it, but no. No, we, I, I trust that God has something encouraging for you this morning, and He's going to encourage you, and He has truth for you in, in an interesting place. It, it comes from the vineyard. Throughout Scripture, as we've been looking for the last number of weeks, there's a number of, of illustrative pictures. We see many lessons taught, for instance, from from the fields, the flocks, God's people as they wandered uh, through the through the wilderness. They were shepherds, and uh, the shepherds were even in attendance at the birth of the Messiah. And so there are many lessons scripturally taught in the lives of shepherds and sheep. The Lord is our shepherd, and we understand, and that's an illustration for us. Well, the vineyard and the fields, agriculture, because this was also an agrarian society, have many important lessons for us. And we've seen in, in the weeks gone by every, everything up to and including uh, the, the, uh, the, the day of the Lord, the final judgment, the wrath of God, uh, the wine press of God's fury. There's incredible lessons, some of them very, very sobering. <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think of it. Sobering lessons, uh, you know, from the vineyard, uh, but there are. And this morning, it's fascinating to me uh, that it's the vineyard, it's the fields, it's the picture that we have of, of first fruits have incredible lessons for us. In fact, I've called today's message, Faithful First Fruits. Because we, in our society, we are prudent people. We elevate that as a virtue, that you don't jump into something, that you kind of keep your powder dry, you, you keep things back, and you, you put things away, and you invest, and you save. To us, that's a wise person. But that's not what God calls for when it comes to your relationship with Him. God calls you to jump in with both feet. God calls you to step out of the boat. <laughs> would you have been Peter? If you saw Jesus walking on the water, would it come into your mind to yell out to Jesus as Peter did, Lord, if that's you, call me and I'm getting out of the boat and walking on the water with you. Not a chance. Nope. We keep our feet dry. We stay in the boat. We, we wait until we see if we're able to do something. This is the traditional church business meeting. What are we able to do? What can we afford? And we often look at our resources rather than, than God's resources. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And you'll see how in Scripture God calls them to look at life through a different lens. And one of the ways He did it was in their daily lives, their agricultural lives, where He called them to trust Him with their first fruits. Now, all week I've been going back and forth. Look at the spelling of that. First fruits, one word. Not in dictionary.com, it's not. But biblically, when you see it translated in the Bible, it's one word because it's a biblical concept. That's why we don't find it in common usage where it's spelled two words, first and fruits. But the 
original sacrifice you gave to God out of your harvest was called first fruits. One word. It'll go back and forth. I'm sorry. Faithful first fruits. It's an act of trust. Basically put, it's taking the very first part of your harvest and not storing it, not putting it in the bins, not putting it in a grain bag, giving it to God. It's trusting God that He's going to supply the rest. It's a down payment of faith that God, who gave you these first fruits, will supply all of your needs. And you're not going to trust Him with the last, but you give Him the first. It turns our thinking upside down. We'll go through it quite quickly. We're going to move along through Scripture, a lot of it in the Old Testament. But we're going to look at the literal first fruits that God talks about, the very first part of their harvest, their flocks, even their families, the literal first fruits, and then what that means figuratively, because they're used figuratively as a metaphor in Scripture as well, and then a few lessons that you and I can draw from this teaching, because if we can't take practical lessons from it, what are we doing here? When it comes to the end of any message from God's Word, you always need to ask a two-word question, so what? So what? Was it Bible trivia, something just to store away? Or was it something that God's challenging me? Is His, is his blade of His Word, that sharp two-edged sword pruning in my own life, challenging me and convicting me, encouraging me, empowering me? Faithful first fruits. First, literal first fruits. Scripture makes a number of points when it comes to the beginning of any harvest. It should teach you that all of the harvest, all of it, is God's. First fruits are God's alone. For instance, in Exodus 23, when the concept of first fruits is first broached to this brand new people of God, the nation of Israel, God tells them to bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil. So there we see it's of the crops, of the soil. It's not only the vineyard that's included, but it's all of the agricultural produce. It was all God's. And the first fruits all belong to God. But it's not just of the soil. When we see in Exodus the first fruit sacrifice described, it goes interesting. It has a wave offering. Wave offering? What's that? That's actually, they take grain, a sheaf of grain, and they wave it before the altar, before it's sacrificed. It's giving it symbolically to God. So they gave their grain to God, and then there was a burnt offering of an animal sacrifice. So that was their fields, their flocks. And then there was a drink offering, the fruit of the vine, their vineyard, the richest of all agricultural produce, was poured out to God as well. The fields, the flocks, and the vineyard, they're all God's. His alone are the first fruits. But it's not only the first fruits of the soil, it's also, as I said, that which is born. All living creatures that draw breath belong to God as well. As is told us in Numbers chapter 3, this is interesting. It's speaking of the Levitical people. Of all the tribes, God took one tribe, the tribe of Levi, 
The Levites became his, specially set apart for his service. We know originally in the tabernacle, and then they served as the priesthood in the temple as well. And God said, they're all mine as a first fruit. Because otherwise, you would all have to give to me your firstborn children because they're first fruits, and all first fruits belong to me as a sign that everything is mine. It says in Numbers chapter 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I've taken the Levites from among the Israelites in place of the first male offspring of every Israelite woman. The Levites are mine. For all the firstborn are mine. When I struck down the firstborn in Egypt, I set apart for myself every firstborn in Israel. Remember, they were covered by the blood, but the firstborn were God's. They were His. He didn't take them in death, but they belonged to Him covered by the blood of the Lamb. Whether man or animal, they are to be mine. I am the Lord. That's a very clear statement. They are gods. They're all gods. Literal first fruits belong to the Lord alone. But when they're brought to the temple, some are sacrificed, but this enormous amount of produce, the very best, the first, are coming into God's service, it was used in a practical way. It supported the priesthood. Those Levites, they didn't have time. They were serving in the tabernacle. They were serving in the temple. They weren't out tilling their fields. But the service of the temple and that enormous activity was supported by the first fruits of God's people, faithfully bringing their first fruits into the storehouse of the Lord. As we see in Numbers chapter 18, verses 12 and 13, we read, I give you all the finest olive oil, all the finest new wine and grain. They give the Lord as the first fruits of their harvest. All the land's first fruits that they bring to the Lord will be yours, especially in your household who is everyone in your household who is ceremonially clean, that's set apart for God's service, may eat it. This is for God's servants. Out of, practically, out of the first fruits that God's people faithfully give, the Lord uses it to support His servants. And we still see that in part today. We see a reflection of it at even local church level, what you and I do. Not everything we bring into the church, not part of our offerings and our, our love offerings and so forth, but much of it goes to supporting servants, pastors, missionaries, uh, people who work in head office and so forth. There's a lot of God's human resources that are still supported by the faithful giving of God's people today. But incredibly, the very act of giving those first fruits, that celebration, the festival, the feast of first fruits, that whole situation was basically Israel's thanksgiving. We do our thanksgiving traditionally at the end of harvest, but this was Israel's thanksgiving. It's when they brought in and celebrated God's goodness in giving their first fruits. Now, it's, it's a longer passage. It's 11 verses, but I'm going to read it for you today. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 26, because in Deuteronomy 26, where Moses, before they enter the promised land, remember, he basically restates their whole trip and the giving of the law, 
Deuteronomy actually means second law because it's the second pronouncement of the law of God, including the Ten Commandments. And many of the things are elucidated. They're expanded. Uh, we understand more fully. And part of that is the giving of first fruits. We get an insight into actually how they did it, how they brought their baskets of produce in, and then what they said. Because just as we reenact the Lord's Supper at the communion table, we hear the same words that Jesus spoke. It's like we go back in time and we're there at that table with the Lord. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, we see that God's people, they become one with the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and they reenact that entering into the promised land and they celebrate God's faithfulness in giving them a land flowing with milk and honey, which the first fruits are the produce of. Let's look at that in Deuteronomy chapter 26. This is Moses telling them, one day when you have a tabernacle at Shiloh, when you have a temple in Jerusalem, this is what you're going to be doing, and here's what you're going to be saying. When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before Him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things that the Lord your God has given to you and your household. That's amazing. That is an incredible Thanksgiving celebration for the gift of the promised land. And they celebrated it not at the end, making sure that the harvest was in and they totaled everything up and they paid off all their bills and out of what little was left, they put a Thanksgiving spread on. It was the first fruits. They were trusting God that if there's a hailstorm tomorrow and I lose everything else and none of the rest of the harvest comes in, I won't regret that I gave you the first fruits, because it's all yours. And you, God, are taking care of me. An interesting point here, and we'll see it come about in just a minute. You know when they celebrated traditionally the festival or the feast of first fruits? It was during a busy time. It began with the Passover. And you say, spring? 
their spring harvest, their harvest began in spring in Israel. Remember, this is the Mediterranean climate. This is a much warmer country. And what we down south would call winter wheat or winter grain, their harvest began in springtime. That's when the first produce was beginning to come in that had been growing throughout the, the winter time as the rains came. And it traditionally happened the week after Passover during that feast of unleavened bread. Right in the middle of that week, in fact, on the third day after the Passover, that was the first fruits. And they brought in, knowing that that initial first fruit was the promise of all the harvest that was God was going to supply. That's the literal first fruits. There's a few places in Scripture, though, this concept is used figuratively as a metaphor to teach us some important lessons. It's most often used, for instance, as a, as a symbol of the redeemed people, saved people. In fact, figuratively, first fruits is used of the redeemed of humanity. It's all mankind. I love that old picture of Billy Graham at the London Crusade that kicked off his ministry in such a huge way so many years ago. You see that tide of humanity. You know, there's over 7 billion souls in the world today. And those who know Jesus are just a tiny portion of that. But we are the first fruits of that powerful harvest of the kingdom of God. In fact, in, in the Old Testament, they used it that figuratively in the same way. In Jeremiah chapter 2, for instance, verse 3, we read, Israel was holy, that is set apart. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of His harvest. It didn't end with Israel. The harvest of souls begins with the people of God. Looking forward to the great harvest of the nations that Elsie and other missionaries and we as well are part of. The harvest of all mankind that God is bringing in. It began with Israel. But Jesus takes that harvest not only spiritually, but the resurrection. There's a first fruit that's going to grow. And that's the resurrection of Jesus. As we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the great resurrection chapter, Paul says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first raised to new life as the power of sin and death have been broken. Oh, but He's not the last. He's the first fruits. And He is the guarantee of all of our resurrections that are going to follow. That's why we can fall asleep. We don't mourn as people who have no hope when we lose loved ones. We know our loved ones are more alive today than they ever were in this old world because of Jesus' resurrection. He is the first fruits of all of those who have died in faith. But as well, the church. We ourselves are first fruits. In James chapter 1, the Lord's brother James writes, He chose us to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Well, what's that mean? It does mean our resurrection coming, but it also means there's a new heaven and a new earth coming. And the only thing out of this old world that's one day going to melt, one day going to burn, this old world's going to be gone, the heavens are going to pass away. And there's a new heaven and a new earth coming and a new Jerusalem. And the only thing from this world that will be there, it's you. It's you. 
It's the people of God. You're the first fruits of the kingdom of God that is coming into being. That's incredible. We often don't take that seriously enough. Well, that's the literal and figurative use of first fruits in Scripture. Faithful first fruits. Just want to close by drawing a couple lessons from it. The first of these, it's obvious. This is our Father's world. It's God's. It was God's then and it's God's today. And we need to see that the role we play in it is not of ownership. We're merely stewards of the gift of God's good world. Whether it's ecological uh, stewardship or overseeing your family, your life, your time, it's all God's. Every heartbeat, every breath is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it, it's all God's. It's His. This is my Father's world. Also, as stewards of that world that belongs to God, we need to be faithful. Just as they were faithful in trusting God as they brought their first fruits, we need to be faithful to cultivate grateful hearts, recognizing that God is a good God and He takes care of us and He gives us good gifts. I love Sunday school this morning as Elsie shared God's faithfulness to her time and again, giving to us better than we better than we even know to ask for. Speaking of a grateful heart, that familiar passage we've shared recently from Ephesians 5, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks for everything, the hard things, the happy things, the sunshine and the rain. They all come to us from the hand of of a loving Father. Cultivate a grateful heart. That's part of a stewardship attitude, a stewardship lifestyle. If you have that attitude, it will not be hard to become a more trustworthy steward. Oftentimes, God's people, the way we use our time, our talent, our treasure, we're not that much different than unbelievers. Really, we do the same thing. We own the same things. Take the same holidays. We watch the same shows. We're really not that much different. As a pastor who does counseling, I understand that our divorce rate's not that much different. So obviously we steward our families and our relationships much the same. In fact, among evangelicals in many situations, in many studies done, our divorce rates are slightly worse than non-believers. What's going on there? We're obviously not becoming trustworthy stewards of our lives. Jesus said, I want to trust you. I've given you this little world, this little time, this little lifetime. It goes by in a blink and all eternity stretches out before you. You have this lifetime to show what kind of steward we are, how faithful we are to God's good gifts to us. Luke chapter 16 Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? 
And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This life goes by so quickly. Handle it with care. It belongs to the Lord. Use it for His glory. And finally, finally, God wants our best. He doesn't want leftovers. That's why He asks you for the first fruits and not that which comes at the very end. What's on God's menu in your life today? Is it your best? Is it your first fruits? Or does God get whatever is left over at the end of the day? Do we serve Him leftovers? We don't often hear about it. It's an old one. I used to hear it all the time and pastors would preach on money and tithing. It's a sad passage. It's from the last book of the Old Testament. The temple was getting shabby. The Levites weren't taking care of. Why? Because God's people weren't bringing the first fruits. God was getting the leftovers if there was anything left over. And we all know that when we make ourselves a priority, there's never anything left over. Let's be honest. But when we have God as a priority, we really do put God first. We really do put our family and loved ones second. And then job and things of the world come further down. When we have those priorities as stewards, this isn't a problem. Through God's servant Malachi, he said some hard words to the people. He said things like, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes? Offerings? You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That's powerful words to us even today. We don't live under the law. We don't have the required tithe that God's people uh, had as part of their worship of Him. As Christians in the family of God, co-heirs with Christ, our guidelines come from the heart. Our giving is to be generous and cheerful because we're giving it all. But this still makes a powerful point. Don't give God the leftovers. Give Him your best. Put Him first and test Him and see if He will not supply all of your needs. As Elsie said to us earlier today, my God will supply all your needs according to His riches in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, You teach us so many things. And You give us visual pictures, Father, that we can understand it more clearly. Father, thank You for teaching us lessons from the vineyard. And today, You, through the practice of giving first fruits, giving the first, not the last of what we have, giving our best and not leftovers, Lord, we see Your faithful people in the past, they trusted You. And Lord, You supplied all their needs The more they trusted you, the more you blessed them. Lord, they found that they could not outgive you. And yet today, Father, if we're honest, many of us have lost that practice, have lost that, that joy 
of giving generously, cheerfully, and from the heart. Because Father, sometimes if we're honest down deep, we're not sure we can trust You to supply all of our needs. Lord, break down that stronghold of unbelief if it rests in any of our hearts and allow us, Lord, to find freedom in this area, giving our time, giving our talent, and giving our treasure back to You from whence it all came. Because this is Your world and we want to be good stewards of it. So teach us this lesson, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.